So, our portion now is continuation of chapter 1 of Mark, a gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at this section of verse 29 through to 39. In my Bible, I've got it headed in two sections, that Jesus heals many, and the second section is Jesus prays in a solitary place. These are headings that are just in my Bible, yours will maybe different. It's a small section, and uh, I think we'll just read it together first, and then I'll make some comments about it. That Hopefully we, as we look at this, and we can take something away from uh, what the, God, the Lord has given us in a very small portion of the Lord's activities whilst he was here on earth. So, Mark 1, verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled through Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. So just following on from what you heard last week, um, this is a continuation of the Lord in his beginning and his ministry, we call it that, his uh, responsibilities that he was taking on that had been given to him by his father. And he was um, revealing himself as to who he was in his actions. And as we read, as you know from last week, he's in Capernaum. It's in the Sabbath day, and he had gone into the synagogue. And we start this section that this is after that. So that just gives us the placing. It's Capernaum, it's the Sabbath day, and he's just now leaving the synagogue where he had um, been used. Again, he'd, he had identified an evil spirit and had uh, commanded him to come out of a person. So when he left, he went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. I think it's always interesting to try and get into the picture as to what it must have been like that 
that Simon and Andrew lived together in a house which also had Peter's mother-in-law living there, we assume. She was certainly there at the time. She was ill and she was in bed. Um, it doesn't tell us any more, so, but it, maybe it gives us a probably a quite a fairly accurate picture of what that type of household would be, maybe a, a, an extended family household. We don't know whether um, sorry, Andrew had um, been married or whether he was single, it doesn't tell us that. But certainly it would appear that uh, Simon had a wife, or he certainly had a mother-in-law and I assume maybe his wife was still living and he may even have had children. We're not told, but it's just to get the setting that this is a, a home with maybe more than one family in it, with certainly Andrew and Simon both living together. But the, the picture, I think, about the Lord coming there, I was just looking at what points we could maybe take from this as to um, what the teaching is on just what seems like a very basic story, that uh, the Lord comes along, he sees a woman who is ill with a fever, and he heals her. And other people get to hear about it, and he becomes a big attraction. I mean, that's the basics. The coming, you know, what we learn about it is that Jesus coming to the house, and I suppose it's a little bit like our prayer life, that when we come to Jesus, when we come through Jesus to God in our relationship with him, we don't come really with, or we shouldn't come with a view to be telling him anything. We come to a God who is all-knowing and we come through the Lord Jesus Christ who's been there before, who has opened up the way for us and he too is well aware of everything that is going on. So sometimes we fall into the trap of trying to, maybe we're telling each other things, but we probably should, we're talking to God and we tell God things that he knows. I just get this picture here of the Lord coming to this house and he knew about Peter's mother. But you read there that they told him about her. And that's natural. Uh, why wouldn't they? And I think in this part of our prayer life is that God in heaven and the Lord Jesus wants us to come to him and tell him things. But not on the basis of, I'll tell you something you don't know. It's all to do with our relationship. It's all to do with us getting closer. And so you get the picture of the Lord Jesus just waiting and letting them tell him about Peter's mother-in-law. And then he acts. And I think that telling, that uh, responsibility of coming or bringing it to Jesus is really a teaching for us. That that's what he wants from us. He wants us to come to him, bring our troubles, bring our concerns. Not that he doesn't know about them, but he wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. And then he will show us what he's going to do. 
And in this case, um, Jesus just goes to her. He takes her by the hand and he helps her stand. I think again, I might think this is very maybe basic stuff, that in our coming to God, our coming to our Father, in our coming to Jesus uh, and asking for help is we're looking for the hand that will come out that we can grasp to help us stand. The fever that left her, is that not a picture of our problems? It's a picture of sin, of course. Uh, that's the ultimate, that we want him to come to Jesus for our sin to be dealt with. That is why he had come. He had come to die on the cross. And of course, that is a picture that we always have before us, that we come to the Lord Jesus for our sins to be dealt with. But it's an ongoing thing too, that because our sins have been dealt with at Calvary, it doesn't mean that we don't have difficulties caused by sin. And therefore, we still need to keep coming to him and hold him by the hand and feel the strength in our legs as he lifts us. And so it's a, it is a lovely picture of not just salvation, but it's a picture of our discipleship and our, the need for us to come to him, our need for us to commune with him, and the need for us to be looking for his hand and looking for the strength to stand up. And then the, the third thing really in this little story is that the fever left her and that she served. Again, of course, it's just a picture of responsibility, our picture of appreciation. Um, why wouldn't we want to serve the man who had healed us? In this little story, it's pretty blatantly obvious. She was ill and she'd got a fever been taken out. She's relieved. She'd got her strength back and she shows her appreciation by serving them. I don't know whether that would have been her role anyway as she'd been, had been well, but she, um, she responds anyway and she looks after not just Jesus but the others that had come with her. And again, a clear picture there for us and what sort of response do we have for our salvation? What sort of response do we have for answered prayer? What response do we have to that peace that we get in our hearts time and time again when the Lord answers prayer and we feel that joy and that uh, satisfaction that being in Jesus Christ, that although it doesn't guarantee us uh, a painless, uh, no problem life, it does promise us he's always with us. He's always holding us. He's always giving us strength in our legs. And therefore, the natural response surely should be to serve. This follows on really um, with, you get the picture here that this gets known very quickly in a, a place, I don't know what size Capernaum would have been, but it would be, a, I imagine, a, a fishing village um, by Galilee. It was um, not too large a, a place. It was large enough to have a synagogue. So, um, 
might have been a few hundred, maybe a few thousand people living there. Um, but the people get to know and they bring, it says they bring all their sick, the whole town seemed to come to this one place. It's a lovely reaction, of course, is that when Jesus, when he acted, when people saw what he could do, they naturally want some of that. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, sometimes when we live in a world now that doesn't need Jesus, that uh, when the gospel message goes out in Western countries nowadays to say there's a man who can take away your sin, there's a man who can take the fever away, there's a man that can give you strength, there's a man that can give you eternal life, and they're not piling up at our door <laughs> wanting to hear or see him. So, the sick were not all healed. That's interesting that, isn't it? Uh, it seems a whole town came, but it says many of them were healed and many demons were removed. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's the same uh, situation that we have today with uh, sinners, that some are saved and others are not. Um, they're not coming in faith. Uh, maybe there was disbelief. Maybe there was people coming for ulterior motives, whatever it might have been. But many were saved. Many were healed. Interesting, I think you probably would have heard this uh, last week as well about the, the, the demons that are removed, that it says that Jesus, he didn't want them. He didn't want them, uh, he didn't want to let the demons speak because they knew who he was. It's interesting, you know, that they, the Lord wanted nothing to do with Satan. And he still wants nothing to do with him. He is the enemy. Even although there are people today that will claim they don't know God, there is no God, and we don't believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, even the demons, even Satan, knows for a fact that he is alive. The demons recognised him. The demons knew him. It's interesting, I, we've probably said this so many times before, that, that he, here at the time when the Lord had come to the earth for his ministry, Satan's armies were prepared as well. And it seems as if there were many, many demons in place put there by Satan to act against Christ and there was almost a sort of mockery in their tone that those people, these poor people that had been indwelt by evil spirits and demons um, they were crying out in their mockery of him but they knew him and they were also very aware of his power they knew he had power to deal with them, and that worried them. But I think it's interesting in this section here just to focus on the fact that Jesus shut them up because he wanted to reveal himself. He wanted to proclaim who he was. It would come from him. He didn't want any help, <laughs> albeit um, done in mockery, uh, coming from Satan. And so he shut them up. And uh, but everybody else, 
was able to see his power and to see what he could do. It says, <coughs> it's a verse in John chapter 14, uh, verse 30. I'll just read it. Uh, which again, just I think, <coughs> cements this. It's the Lord Jesus speaking, John 14 and 30. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded. So, I think again, it just the, that verse to me seems to just cement that the Lord didn't want anything to do with these demons, and didn't want to be using them uh, in any way or shape or form. Satan had nothing in him. And uh, Satan, although Satan was all around him, tempting him and trying to influence the <coughs> responsibility and the, the work that he had to do here, see, uh, the Lord shut him up, shut them up. <coughs> uh, just another verse in 1 John, uh, 1 John 3 and 8. <coughs> He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So again, it's just another picture that the Son of God had, had come to destroy Satan's work. And this is what he, he was doing a lot of. He was casting out these demons and... He was releasing people in a very physical way from the power of Satan uh, and getting them back to normality in order that they were then free to listen and hear the word of God coming from the lips of Christ. So just going on to the, uh, the prayer section that um, early in the morning when it was still dark, Again, learning from the Lord Jesus Christ and the way that he lived his life, it's interesting again that we pick up on the fact that he got up early, one. Secondly, he went to a place of solitude and the importance that he put on the need to pray to his father. Although he was from the father, he still felt it necessary, still felt it important to communicate with his father. And so what do we learn from that when it comes to prayer? That there is a necessity for us to pray in private. Um, I think that the Lord um, had words to say about people who only prayed in public and used big words and flowery language and... Uh, made a spectacle of himself. Uh, he condemned that. What is far more important, is it not, for that relationship, so it goes back to what I was saying in the, the beginning about the importance of our relationship with God and that necessitates us in private prayer. It necessitates being in solitude. Um, if you ever tried to pray with the telly on, 
or you ever try to pray sometimes when you're doing other things whilst it's possible it's clear it's not the ideal and it maybe should be a secondary thing the main communication surely should be when you're on your own when you've got no distractions and you can concentrate on what you're saying and you can concentrate on the feedback you know what I mean by that is that when you're communicating with the Lord he gives you thoughts he gives you responses and so it's a communication we use the scriptures of course for listening to what God says to speak to us but I mean these things are brought to mind when you're praying these things are brought to mind when you're communicating and that's what makes that special and so it was special to the Lord that he put himself away in private he hid himself and he did it at a time when there was going to be a lot less people around and he went to a place where there was less people likely to find him and that was something that was important and he needed that I think you know when you read through the uh, life of the Lord as we're doing in Mark here uh, you see that this is time and time again he does this and it seems to culminate always in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, <coughs> where he needs to separate himself there from his disciples in that last prayer when everything was piling on him and the horror of what he was going to go forward and do for us at Calvary and he needed his father that was just a, an extension if you like of his prayer life it was a natural thing to do to be alone with his father and the Holy Spirit and to be able to just uh, have that communion I just had noted down another verse in John 5 and 30 <coughs> just in this subject of relationship and obedience and knowing the will of his father that um, by myself he says this is Jesus says by myself I can do nothing I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me I think again just on that prayer thought I just noted that down because the thought that the, the Lord Jesus had really no other main objective if I could put it that way uh, other than to do the will of his father and it shows you how strong that relationship was and how one they were that he didn't have any desire to do anything else as his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane culminated with, not my will, but thine be done. And I think, you know, when his private prayer would have been the same, it was always a finish, not my will, but yours be done. And he was focused on that importance of getting into the mind. And although he was God, as man, as the son of man, growing up and learning and learning obedience, he was growing into the mind of his father 
as a, as a man, as a human. And there's so much there for us to learn in that as well, that that's our objective is to grow in spiritual experiences and in our relationship to grow into the mind of God so that our prayer will always be answered because we are praying in his name. So just in closing then, I just want to just say the, <coughs> that when the Lord Jesus had, um, when he'd found him, he said to them, let us go elsewhere, let us go to the different villages, because uh, this is why I have come. And you know that he went through Galilee preaching in the synagogues and driving out these demons it was not just, it was something that he was expanding. And of course, when, when we read uh, at the end of his life, his commandment to us as disciples was to go into all the world and make disciples. He was also commanding us to be his witnesses. And so what he was doing in a small area of Galilee, which expanded out down to Jerusalem and Judea, uh, such a small part of the world, he was commanding his disciples that, you know, I'll, I'll start you off effectively. I will uh, show you what is required here. This is why I have come. And so as we as disciples, we should be ensuring that we are teaching and showing this about the Lord Jesus. This is why he came. And this is the result of it all. And therefore, we are his witnesses to go and make disciples of all nations and uh, once that's done I think he'll come Rhoda and I often talk about this a lot when we're studying it is it would be nice to know when all the nations have heard about him because then he'll come because <laughs> then it'll be complete so is there any part of the world that haven't, hasn't heard about Jesus yet and we think, well, if we believe that they've all heard it now, so he's got to come soon. Surely, come Lord Jesus. Shall we pray? <clears throat>